You're listening to Southside Baptist Church Podcast with our pastor, Dr. Jeff Parker. For more audio content, please refer to our website at ssbaptistchurch.com. Let's take a moment and pray. Our Heavenly Father, we just come to you, dear Lord. We thank you, dear Lord, that, boy, those are beautiful words. You call us your sons and daughters. To those who believed, he gave them the power to become the children of God. Join heirs with Jesus. We just praise you. We give you all the glory. You alone are worthy to be praised. And dear Lord, we thank you. And we just, Lord, we just, we love you. But dear Lord, we know that you love us so much more. And for that, we praise and worship you and give you all the honor that, dear Lord, possibly that is within us. We ask you, dear Lord, now to speak to us through your word. We pray, dear Lord, that the power of your Holy Spirit would convict hearts, not only here, but people who may listen later on the website, dear Lord, that you would speak to the hearts of men and women and boys and girls. And Lord, I pray that you'd cleanse me, that you forgive me if there's anything in me, dear Lord. I want to be a vessel that you can use today. And we'll just praise you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. I want you to take your Bibles. I'm preaching today a two-part sermon in this series on Worried. We've titled this this series called Worried. And dealing with this thing of anxiety, depression, struggling with those things that sometimes will captivate, consume our mind and rob us of what Jesus talked about in John 10, 10, the abundant life. Now, in John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus said this. He said, the enemy comes to kill, to steal, to destroy. That's what the enemy is about in your life and in my life. And you need to understand that. We need to sometimes understand that we have an enemy. Paul said in Ephesians chapter 6 that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against those rulers, those principalities, those wicked forces and dark places. Paul said, listen, you and I have an enemy. And that enemy wants to basically, if you're lost here today, to keep you lost. If you're saved, if you're a child of the king, if you're a Christian, then that enemy wants to steal your joy and to rob you of the abundant life. Because Jesus said this, he said, your enemy comes to kill, steal, to destroy, but I have come that you might have life And in the NIV, it says that you might have it to the full and other translations that you might have abundant life. But we've said this, that what happens is the enemy uses a particular tool in your life and in my life and robs us of that abundant full life. And that is this thing of worry, anxiety, depression, always fretting and thinking about negative and the worst things that can happen in life. And we spend our life what-ifing. And Corey Ten Boom said this. I thought it was good. She said, worry does not empty tomorrow of sorrows. It empties today of strength. Isn't that powerful? Let me read that again. Listen to it closely. Worry does not empty tomorrow of sorrows. It empties today of strength. In other words, when you and I worry, when we fret, when we what if, when we're constantly thinking that way, when we are anxious, the reality is, is that we are not taking the sorrows that may come tomorrow. We are robbing ourselves of the strength of our intimate relationship with Christ today. 
So that's a good statement. And last week we basically said this, when you and I are honest, one of the things that we worry about is our health. We worry about our health. We think a chest pain is a heart attack. We think a, a headache is a, is a brain tumor. We think a pain in our side is liver cancer. We think if we're running a fever, we think we've got leukemia. You see, now listen, everyone look this way. That's the enemy in your head telling you the worst scenario possible. Why do you think the enemy does that? Because he wants to rob you of the intimate, personal fellowship with Jesus Christ. He wants you to doubt God's sovereignty. He wants you to doubt God's plan, God's purpose for your life. He wants you to live in bondage to that idea of what if this happens, what if that happens, what if this pain, that pain, and so ultimately we're robbed of life. He, in essence, steals our joy and affects your testimony and affects my testimony. Because the world looks at us, sees us worrying all the time about our what-if thinking, and the world says, hey, if that is a relationship with Christ, if that's Christianity, I don't want it. I don't want it. And so we said that one of the things that happens is, is that we worry about health, we worry about death, and we worry about death because we have an unbiblical view of death, of heaven, and eternity. If you and I could understand God's view of death, death, Paul said, is a departure, it's a door, it's simply, as we've said it so many times, I, how many times have I come to these doors over here in this sanctuary and simply said to you and I, as a believer, as a follower of Christ, death is these doors. We are just simply moving from one location to the next. I am in the hallway, I'm outside of the sanctuary. This, you may say, well, this is a simple way to put it. My friend, this is a biblical view of death. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. In fact, God even tells us as we come to that point of death, He said, I'll never leave you, never forsake you. Lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end. Yea, though I've walked through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for thou art what? You finish it. For thou art with me. So you and I sometimes are worrying and fretting and anxious about our health and, and, and frightened of our own death when God says, listen, quit doing that. Hebrews says this. The writer of Hebrews says, it's appointed unto man once to, you finish it, to die and after that the judgment. That's what we need to worry about. That's what we need to worry about. And that's why we need to be right with Christ. So we said this, that last week, one of those problems in our life is that we worry about death. The other thing is, we said this, there are some positive things we can do. Paul said it in Philippians chapter 4. In fact, let's turn there. Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. This is a great church Paul is writing to, this church at Philippi. Uh, Paul is, Paul, this is just a, a great church. And, and in in. In Philippians, in Philippians chapter, chapter 4, chapter 4, beginning at verse 4, Paul says this. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Now, last week we said this. One of the first things that you and I need to do when we are anxious, depressed, worried, what ifing, always, we're always kind of, you know, we're just kind of nervous and we're worried about the future. When you and I do that, we need to first of all ask ourselves a question. Have I lost the ability to rejoice, the ability to be happy, the ability to, to celebrate and to worship? Have I lost that quality? Have I lost my sense of humor? Have I lost the ability to laugh? When was the last time, we said this last week, when was the last time you had a good laugh? 
My friend, you and I have a lot to be happy about. So we, we simply said this, that there are some things that Paul said we can do. In other words, when you look at this scripture here, Paul in chapter 4, as he's closing out this letter to the church at Philippi, this, like so many churches, was under persecution. There was a lot to worry about. But Paul will say in verse 6, he says, be anxious for nothing but in everything through prayer. But let's look at back at let's look at verse 4. Paul said this, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. When you and I have a positive attitude, when we are in an encouraging kind of people, when we have a good outlook on life, when we have the ability to laugh, when we when we have a sense of humor, when we are positive about life, my friend, it doesn't leave much room for anxiety and worry. So Paul says, listen, I don't care whatever situation you're in. Paul said, rejoice in the Lord. Re listen to that. Positionally, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I'll say it again, rejoice. Now he goes on in verse 5 to say something that I think is critical to verse 6. Because in verse 5, Paul says this. He says, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. I thought that's interesting. Let me ask you a question this morning. Are you a gentle person? Think about that for a moment. Is your disposition, is your nature, are you a gentle person? Because when Paul brings up this, this character trait, it's as if Paul is saying this ought to be natural a natural character, character trait to the life of a believer. That in other words, as you and I become the temple of the Holy Spirit, as we're filled with the Spirit of Jesus Christ, as the Holy Spirit begins to take up residence in our life, listen, one of the qualities of us is that we'll be gentle. And I think it's more than that because Paul is, is taking gentleness and he's going to tie it to what he's going to say in verse 6. He uses the word there, gentleness. In the King James, it says moderation. The, the word here is epiakes. It's, it's uh, epiakes. It's the, it's, the, it's the idea of being fair or gentle or mild or equitable. The word epi is a preposition. It means to, to, to on, at, by, or over, or against. And ico means to yield. So gentleness, a gentle person, is someone who yields or relinquishes their rights, their desires, their preferences, whatever, to somebody else. Are you that? that kind of person are you gentle or are you used to getting your way Sheila a lot of times I'm married to a very gentle person and it never fails 30 something years of knowing Sheila about 37 years of knowing her 35 years of marriage uh, I'll say to Sheila where do you want to eat we'll be going out to eat where do you want to eat I know the answer the answer has never changed. It's always been the same answer. You want to guess it? You say it. Wherever you want to eat. Now, if you're married to somebody like that, buddy, you better hug and kiss them right now. I even give you permission. 
You see, Sheila's a gentle person, and what that means is, that, that word there that Paul uses, is that she's, what she's saying is, it really doesn't matter to me. In fact, let me just remove myself out of that question and simply yield it over to you and say, whatever you want, that's what we'll do. Wow. What a quality. You know, I wrote down here, that's a precious trait and it's the prerequisite of a follower of Jesus Christ. Did you realize that? That in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, you know what Jesus said? If any man will come after me, let him what? Do you want to finish it? Deny who? Deny himself. Boy, that's hard to do, isn't it? Are you gentle? Is this a quality that people would describe in your life? Are you the kind of person that tends to relinquish your own desires, your, long, your, your own ambitions, and simply say to other people, listen, you're more important than I am. Setting aside ambitions, desire, desires, relinquishing your rights, your privileges, for the sake of somebody else or for the sake of Christ. Did you hear that? It's not just simply relinquishing your rights to someone else. You're doing it for the cause of Christ. There's a principle here, and I want you to listen because I think this is what Paul was saying here. People who are not gentle are usually more, more anxious and are filled with much more worry and anxiety. I want you to think about that for a minute. You know, a lot of times we just pull these verses out and we just think, Paul is guided by the Holy Spirit. Paul said, listen, to overcome, verse 6, he's going to tell us something that, listen, in all honesty, seems to be impossible. Paul says, listen, guided by the Holy Spirit, this is God's word for you and for me. Paul says this, be anxious for nothing. You know what he's saying? Don't worry about nothing. When somebody says something like that to me, I almost think that's ludicrous. It's my nature to worry, to fret, to what if, to wonder, to think this pain, that pain. What if this happens? What if that happens? What if I lose my job? What if we can't make ends meet? What if bills? What if this? What if that? What if I lost my spouse? What if I lost one of my kids? You see, because that's the enemy. My nature and your nature, probably as human beings, frail human beings, is to worry. So 365 times in the Bible, God tells us, do not fear. One every day. When Jesus would walk in the room, he said, fear not. Not shalom, not peace, not that kind of greeting of us, fear not. But the reality is, is what Paul is saying in verse 6, he's going to give us some clues as to how to be that way in verse 5. And I think, and I wrote that principle, people are not gentle. People who are not gentle are usually more anxious. Let me make some statements here. Let me ask you to just kind of test yourself. Number one, there are some personalities that sit on high alert. In other words, every emotion is on a hair trigger. You know those kind of people? They are wound up real tight. And you may be one of them. When I was a boy, we had these little, old, these little old planes that had a propeller on the end of it and you'd wind it up. 
and it had a rubber band on it. And boy, we would, you'd wind that thing up, wind it up, wind it up, wind it up. And, and, and I would wind it up to where it would, it would make about two, it would just all be all knotted up, you know. I just kept winding it up as tight as I could get it. And then when I'd let that thing go, man, it would just soar and just fly. It'd stay up in the air a long time. Are you wound so tight that when somebody looks at you and says the wrong thing, you just stay up in the air for a long time? You see, there, there are just some personalities that are like that. Let me ask you another question along with that. Do other people control your emotions, your reactions, or does the Holy Spirit? In other words, are you the kind of person that you're just tightly wound? I mean, you just, you, you know, you, you just, you're just that way. Your emotions are on high alert, and somebody says something, somebody triggers something, and boy, you just unload and you just explode, and you stay up in the air a long time. My friend, if that's your personality, if that's my personality, then the reality is, is that we're going to be people that will tend to worry and be anxious and fret and spend our lives a lot of times way up there in the air flying around but literally never on the earth. You see, Paul said in Ephesians 5.18, Paul said, be filled with the Holy Spirit. You know what Paul was saying? Come under the control of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will say to you and I, don't worry about nothing. Don't get anxious. Don't get worked up about the things of this world. Uh, a second one, let me ask you this. Do you react or do you reply? You see, if you're a gentle person, you've learned how, you've learned how to listen and to reply, but if you're, if you're not a gentle person, if this trait is not in your life, then you tend not to reply, you tend to react to people. And again, I'm going to say this, let me make the principle again. People who are not gentle, people who are not verse 5, cannot be verse 6. Number three, are you slow to speak and quick to listen? Or are you quick to speak and slow to listen. Did you hear that? You see, a gentle person is a person who's learned to come under the control of the Holy Spirit, and what they'll do, they'll stop for a moment, read the situation, listen to the dynamics of what somebody's saying to them, and then they will respond. Let me give you, to what, let me give you James 1.19. He says, my dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be, listen to this, quick to listen, and slow to, you want to finish it? Oh, you don't even sound like you believe that. Quick to listen, slow to speak. You see, a gentle person is a person who has mastered that. They have the ability to stop and to listen very closely, to read the situation, and then to respond with an answer. My friend, if that is not your nature, and if that is not mine, if that's not a trait which was a trait of Christ, if that's not a trait in our life, in your life, then my friend, you and I are going to be more filled with anxiety, we're filled with worry, and we tend to fret. We can't do verse 6 because we haven't mastered verse 5. Number four, are you gentle? I'm going to ask you again, are you gentle? Now, I wrote this down because some people will say, oh, yes. People at my office say, I'm so gentle and kind. Men say, oh, 
I tell you, people at the office, they just think that I'm probably one of the most gentle, kindest people in the world. <laughs> Some of you ladies, you just don't know how. My friends, the people that hang around me, they, they think I'm such a gentle person. I want you to look at verse 5. I want you to examine it closely because watch what Paul says here. Paul says this. He says, let your gentleness be evident to who? To all. Let me tell you what happens a lot of times. We're nauseatingly gentle at the office and we're Attila the Hun when we get to the house. Are you gentle with people where you work, where you live, and then you get home and you act like the, like the devil himself? You see, that's not, what, that's not what gentleness is. Gentleness is not a hypocritical uh, act that we carry on out there in the world, out in the public. Gentleness is absolutely who we are in the depth of our soul, in our heart, controlled by the Holy Spirit, we are a gentle person and it just simply is evident, not to the people out there in public, but to the people in our lives that mean the most to us in home. Wow. You see, the reality is what Paul was saying. Paul was saying, listen, let your gentleness be evident to all the Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything because the reality is some people are very passionate. They're wound tight. They're quick to react. They're easily aroused into action. They're restless. They're energetic. Their nature is to be looking for a fight, looking for a crusade. They're always anxious, always keyed up, always on high alert. And my friends, sometimes that can rob us of the intimacy that Christ wants us to have. Look at Paul. Let me give you an example. Look at Philippians 4, 6. Paul says this, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Now everybody look this way. Do you think Paul did that? Raise your hand if you think, you know, Paul did that. Paul, Paul, I believe Paul did that. Just, just raise your hand and it's going. I believe Paul did that. How many of you believe he didn't? Oh, Sheila, you've been looking at my notes again. Now, now, now in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, Paul says, do not be anxious about nothing. But I want you to look at Philippians 2, 28. Paul is writing here to the church at Philippi. He says, therefore, I am all the more eager to send him so that when you see him again, you may be glad and I may have what? You see it? I may have what? Less anxiety. You see, Paul understood this quality. Paul's nature was a crusader. Paul was a strong individual. Paul was the kind of a take charge kind of individual. Paul was one that a lot of times he wouldn't go settle a church problem. He would send Timothy because Timothy was just better at it because I believe Timothy was more gentle than the apostle Paul. You know, Paul was simply saying people like this are more inclined to worry and to fret and to what if and to be negative because it's just in their nature. And you may say, well, then, you know, you know people that are the opposite of this, they're, they're, that's a good thing. Well, sometimes you need those high-strung people, don't you? If you're not gentle... And if I'm not gentle, if this quality is not a part of my life and a part of your life, then you and I will worry, we will learn, we will listen, we'll be more anxious. It's a quality that we need to incorporate into our lives. So right now, if you said, you know, listen, I want to be a more gentle person. 
I want to be the kind of person that will be more in keeping to what Paul is describing here and what the pastor is preaching about. This is the kind of person that I want to be. Then listen, gentleness will require that you and I are going to have to be intentional about it. In other words, you make the decision, you know, really, in all honesty, I'm not a very gentle person. Now, let me, let me, let me say that, and I'm not. I've had to learn this. I've learned by sitting at the feet of Sheila. Because Sheila, this is a quality and a trait in Sheila that's not necessarily a quality or a trait in me. I'm not really a very gentle person a lot of times. I've had to learn that. Gentleness, it must be an intentional step. So let me, let me say this. If you're wanting to be more gentle, let me give you some things to think about. Number one, you need to pray this. I need to pray this. Lord, open my eyes and open my ears to any ungentle behavior in me. God, make me aware through the power of your Holy Spirit when I am not gentle. Number two, enlist someone close to you to help you. You listen, the idea here is, is that you incorporate somebody who loves the Lord and say to them, listen, I'm not a gentle person. I tend to be a little bit on the harsh side, a little brash side. I need you to come alongside of me and to help me. When you see this behavior in me, that's what I talked about in that interview down in Tampa. You and I need voices of truth that will be honest with us. Sheila will say to me sometimes, she'll, she'll, she'll look at me as if she's puzzled and she'll go, did you hear the way you just said that? Did you hear the way you just said that? And you know my thought, my, my response? No, I didn't. Well, maybe you need to listen. You see, sometimes we'll crowd out the, the, the voice of the Holy Spirit. Now listen, parent, if you're raising young children, this is critical because sometimes when you and I are raising children, when we are firm, when we are, when we are disciplinarians, when we tend to be very strong and rigid, a lot of times we'll feel the gentle nudge of the Holy Spirit saying, Back off! You've gone too far! Stop it! You're going overboard. There have been times in my life in parenting and raising children that I was raising them out of fear to come into my life. I was parenting by fear and not by faith. I began to try to protect them, watching over them. I became more and more rigid, more and more rigid, constantly tightening the boundaries and, and, and the restraints on their life, correcting them over and over. Stop that. Do that. Don't do that. Don't do this. Stop saying that. Quit doing that. And all of a sudden, it's like the Holy Spirit says, stop it. You are not gentle. You're harsh, and you need to stop. The truth of the matter is, even in marriage, men, women, sometimes this quality is not relevant to our life. It's not a character trait. And the reality is, men, we become harsh, we become frustrated, we become ungentle, and we wreak havoc in that marriage in the life of the one we love. Sometimes, men, you need to take her face in your hand, hands and you need to say to her, I'm so sorry. Sometimes, ladies, you may have to say that to your husband, I'm so sorry, I'm not being gentle, I'm not behaving the way I should, forgive me. One more thing and then we'll close. What makes us ungentle? You ever think about that? What makes us ungentle? 
I want you to see this. I want you to take a left and go to Matthew chapter 6. And I'll close in a moment, but I want you to see this. In Matthew chapter 6, in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is talking about worry in the Sermon on the Mount. And in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus said this. In verse 19, Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, he said, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now skip down to verse 25. Therefore I tell you, do not, be wor- do not worry about your life, what you'll eat, what you'll drink, what you'll wear. Is not life more important than food and body, the body more important than clothes? What will happen in your life and in my life and what often makes us keyed up, on edge, and ungentle is that we're always worrying about, look this way, about our stuff. You see, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25, Jesus said, do not worry about your life, nothing about your life. In in verse 19, before he gets to that, he said, listen, don't allow your life to be preoccupied, to be consumed with the treasures of the things of this world. It's, It's powerful how he words it. In fact, he'll go on to say, verse 28, why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that Solomon in all his splendor was not dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown in the fire, will he not much more clothe you of little little faith? Now watch it, verse 31. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Now look at verse 33. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Now look at this. And all these what? Things will be given to you as well. It's as if Jesus is saying, he uses the word there, maranao, that word for anxiety, to be anxious. And what Jesus is saying is, is that sometimes you and I are worried because we get too consumed with the stuff and the things of the world. Now, now let, me, let me illustrate that, and, and maybe it'll make it, make it a little more clear to you. The reality is, is that your enemy and my enemy, if, if we allow the enemy, will literally encumber us with the possessions and with the things of this world, right? Isn't that what he tried to do to Jesus in Matthew 4 and Luke 4 when he tempted him? You see, the reality is is that you and I, often what will happen is we'll stand in line, camp out, sit for days, while the rest of the world is queuing up for food, we're waiting on the latest Apple phone or whatever it may be. You see, the reality is if we are not careful, our lives become very ungentle because we become consumed with the things of this world. Let me give you an example. You may say, well, I want a car. I want a nice car. I want a new car. You see, what happens is it went from just a a way to get around to now making a statement as to who we are as a person. I want a car. I want a nice car. I want a new car. I want the latest car. I want the latest gizmos and gadgets. Now, let me ask you something. Now, I know some of you are going to say, no, I believe that's the Holy Spirit telling me that. He wants the best. Because I know I watch, I watch church on TV all the time, and they tell me that all the time. God wants the best for me. It's all about me. 
He wants me to live in a nice house, drive a nice car, wear nice clothes, because he's trying to make a statement through me. That's called, faith, health, that's called health and wealth theology. It is garbage that was hatched out of hell. That has nothing to do with what Jesus said in Luke 9.23 when he said, deny yourself. That doesn't sound like somebody who's denying themselves. It sounds like they're consumed with themselves. But here's what the enemy does. The enemy begins to think that our position, our standing, who we are as a person is based on what we drive, and the enemy convinces that And before long, what happens is we get in debt because we are determined to get the car we want rather than what we need. Then let me tell you what happens. You get the car you want. You're driving around all over the parking lot trying to find a spot at the end. Right? Am I not right? Now now you're not just driving up to places. You're scouting out the parking lot. You're worried. You're anxious. i got to put this baby in the right spot. You know, you're, you're not looking for the guy in the 1974 LTD parked next to him because he don't care if he whacks your car or not. So you got to find it. you got to find it. Hey, listen, I was at a Walmart where there was a truck It was parked way out in the parking lot all by itself and it had bubble wrap around the truck. You remember that? You see, now all of a sudden, you see, all of a sudden now, it wasn't just a matter of getting a car. Now you become worried. Now you, listen, you're wrapped up in the possession of a vehicle. You've got a payment book that looks like a Dickens novel and will last you to the rapture. You've got insurance, you've got liability, you've got collision, you've got uninsured, and if you're buying a tag in Mississippi, it's going to cost you an arm and half your leg. You've got mats on top of mats. Let me ask you something. Did it make your life better? The enemy got in your head, and the enemy said, if you could drive this car, if you could just have this vehicle, and my friend, you'll be somebody, something, when you're waiting in line to pick up the kids. You'll be making a statement. No, the reality is, is that stuff that you and I have, it begins to make our life miserable. We begin to not be gentle anymore. We're not gentle. We're guarding that vehicle. Hey, buddy, watch it there. Watch your door. Careful, kids! Stomp your feet off before you get in the car. Son, I can't make it to the ball game. I'm washing the car. You see, we're no longer gentle. We're worried. We're anxious. That's what the enemy wants in your life. You want a house? It's not a... You, you, you say, well, you know, I, I've got to have a house. But you want to make a statement. So you get a quarter of a million dollar house and... Before long, you're paying a half-million-dollar mortgage, and you've got insurance. Sheila, a while back before Christmas, she was trying to drop hints about Christmas. She said, uh, we were in Sam. She said, oh, that white rug is so beautiful. It's a big room-size area rug. She says, I love that rug. She'd pull that rug out. She said, feel that rug. That rug feels so good. She wanted, that, she wanted that rug and a chair. I said, I looked at that rug. I said, Sheila, I said, we've got nine grandkids, six years of age and younger. I said, the first thing Caleb's going to do, he's going to baptize it in grape juice or iced tea. 
I said, you, you, you see, and, and what I was trying to do, I was trying to make her aware that, listen, we're either going to enjoy our grandkids or we're going to worry about the rug. Does that make sense? So we're no longer, listen, we're no longer sweet Papa and Nam, who the kids are just delighting to come over. We're so worried and consumed with our white rug in the living room that we're saying, watch it, get the juice back, kids get back. Boy, I'm glad they're gone. <laughs> and I'm going to tell you this much, we can laugh all we want. Some people, that's all they've got to show when they get old. they got a white, clean rug in the living room and nothing else. They have driven the people who love them away. I've got to close in a moment, but we get wrapped up in our possessions. We want to hang on to them. Why? Because we've invested so much. It's not a matter we've got to have a car. We need this car. We need, the, we need a car that will parallel park itself and fry a hamburger while we're sitting in it. We got to have a house and we forfeit a home for a house. I had a young woman look at me one time who had all kinds of problems in her marriage in her home. I asked her about the home she grew up in. You know what she said, talking about a rug? She said, I grew up in a home that when we sat in the living room to watch TV, we sat on the floor. When we got up, we were told to rake the carpet back up. She said, that's the kind of home I grew up in. And she was a miserable woman. They had wealth, they had everything, they had all the material things. They had a house, but they didn't have a home. You see, what Paul's saying here, this thing of gentleness is, is critical. Debt creates anxiety. We buy things we can't afford to impress people we don't even like. Listen, T, over here, a homeless man, has shown more compassion probably to more people than many of you in this congregation. He lives under a plastic tent. He lives under Vis Visqueen. He, he has absolutely nothing. We gave him a little heater to keep him warm. We'll periodically give him food or whatever, but I see him repeatedly ministering to people and taking people into his home. Why? Because he's in a better position than we are. Let me tell you something. You want to get rid of anxiety? You want to learn to be gentle? Get out of debt. Get out of debt. Now, what's the proper attitude? Paul says it. I love what Paul says in fourth. In, 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 I love what Paul says in, uh, where is it? Let me see. Chapter 3, verse 7. Paul says this. Paul begins to talk about all his credentials down there in uh, verses 5-6. And then he comes to verse 7. He, he talks about, he said, I was a Hebrew of Hebrews, tribe of Benjamin, keeping the law. He says, man, he just goes on and on about all those qualifications. Then he gets up to verse 7. And what, do you, what does he say? But whatever was to me my prophet, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing gentleness, the greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. Listen to this. I Consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ. Wow, what a powerful statement. Let me, let me, to the kids, let me, let me, let me tell you the Greek word there. It's poo-poo. What Paul was saying is all this stuff that I used to think was so important when I gave my life to Christ, when I, be, when I came under the authority and when I became a follower of Christ, Paul said, listen, all that stuff became just it just became poo-poo. It was dung. It meant nothing. 
Now, I can tell you how, I can tell you, go ahead and stand up so you'll believe that I'm really getting ready to stop. With nine grandkids, six years of age and younger, don't tell, don't tell my daughter-in-laws and my daughters. But sometimes we find dirty diapers in the strangest places. Now, Megan and Jeffrey and Silas came in last night. And there came a point, Silas walked through the living room, my little grandson, a year old, walked through the living room, and he had a bomb in his, in his britches. And I didn't say anything. But a few minutes later, he went down the, he went down the hallway, and all of a sudden, he went in there where his mom was at. And his, I, heard, I heard Megan go, Whoa! My goodness! Man, that dude, listen, he quarantined the whole side of the house. But imagine if she took that diaper and was getting ready to go throw it in the garbage and say, whoa, wait a minute, don't do that. Let's keep it around for a while. <laughs> Bring it in here and set it by me while I'm watching TV. Uh, Sheila, make it the centerpiece of the table while we're eating. You see, you and I laugh, but let me t- I want you to listen now. You know what God considers all the stuff that you and I are so ungentle about and we spend so much time worrying and being anxious and fretting over and constantly thinking, what if I lose this, what if I lose that? All this stuff of the world. You know what God considers it? You know what a follower of Christ should consider it? About like Silas's dirty diaper. And when we hang on to it, that's about how silly we look to a loving Heavenly Father. He said, listen, get out of debt live a simple life, serve Christ, and it'll make all the difference in the world when it comes to worry. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we just thank you, Lord, that we love you. But Lord, we thank you more that you love us. And Lord, we pray that, dear Lord, maybe today that you've reminded us that we need to be more gentle, more Christ-like. We need to relinquish our rights, our ambitions, our desires. We need to be kinder, more gentler to the people. Not only, dear Lord, where we are publicly, but we need to be that way with those people that are in our lives privately. The husband, a wife, son, a daughter, children, dear friends, church members. There needs to be a gentleness in us. Lord, we realize too that sometimes we're not very gentle because we get so worried and caught up in the stuff of the world. And before long, dear Lord, we are, we are very unkind because we're trying to protect our possessions. Lord, may we realize that when we buy a car, our thoughts should be, how will this be used for the kingdom? When we buy a house, we should think, how can I use this house for the kingdom, your kingdom? God, may we take the possessions that you give us put them back on the altar and say, Lord, this is for your glory, your honor. This is all about you. Father, most of all, if we've not done that with our life, if we've been hanging and clinging, holding on to our life, may we be willing to not only deny ourselves, but die to ourselves, taking up our cross and following you daily. Lord, would you speak to the hearts of men and women if there's one here 
that does not know you. That, Lord, today they would be saved, they would give their life to you, and we'll give you the glory. In the name of Jesus, amen. My dad used to say this. I'd get a little, you know, just a little strong-willed, prideful, a little smart mouth. My dad would look at me, and I always remember these words. He'd say, son, getting ready to bring you down a few notches. What he meant was, I'm getting ready to gentle you. Sometimes what happens is, if we don't gentle ourselves by the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, voluntarily submitting and coming under the Holy Spirit, then what God will do is God will gentle us. Some people get so beat up and bruised up by the world that before long, they find out the world's stuff doesn't mean anything anymore. Had a friend of mine, dear friend of mine, Reggie, he was the president of the student body at New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary. He was a PhD student, a brilliant young man. He was married. He had one little boy, two and a half years old. He had a little chess set. He had a little chess set, little glass chess set that sat on the table, table right there in the middle of the living room. And I'd watch sometimes that little blonde-headed, blue-eyed, little beautiful little boy. He'd go over there, and when he'd do that, my friend go, whoa, get back now. No, get away from there. He pastored, David, he pastored Eden Baptist Church up in Eden. He was at the reservoir. They were getting ready. He was pastoring on the weekend. They were at the reservoir, and they were loading up. He was loading up luggage. His wife was saying goodbye to her parents, and they were at the reservoir. When all of a sudden, he said he heard his wife scream and he looked and that little two-year-old boy was floating in the reservoir. He had a little Fisher-Price, little Fisher-Price fishing pole that he had been fishing with. And both thought the other was looking, neither was watching. They were just getting ready. They brought him back. He lived for a few years just basically in a vegetative state and he finally died. But not long after that, Sheila and I were in that home and our little girl, little red-headed Amy, just a little bitty thing, she went over to touch that chest set. And I said, Amy, Amy, get, don't, baby, that's, that's breakable, don't. And all of a sudden, his eyes got watery, and he looked. He said, it's all right. Just let her play. She's fine. Amy, you go ahead and play with it. Why? Because he found out world stuff is rubbish, poo-poo. It's nothing. Stuff to be thrown away is to be used for the kingdom and that's it. Does that make sense? So you and I, let's learn to be gentle because we don't want God to gentle us. We want to do it voluntarily under the submission and guidance of the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, Amen. God bless you. Have a great day. And I'll see you Wednesday.